Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and mini-series. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. It is good to be with all of you this morning as we gather to worship the Lord. Thank you, Melanie and team. I love seeing all the different ages represented on our, our team to worship the Lord. As we think last week we were talking about Revelation 7-9, every tribe and tongue and nation um, all represented at the throne. I think all generations will be represented at the throne as well. And we want to truly be a multi-ethnic and multi-generational church so that we look like Revelation, how we look like the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So as Pastor Cinda mentioned, we are starting a new sermon series today. It's on um, First and Second Timothy and Titus. There is a study guide available if you'd like to pick one up to follow along, whether in a small group or just studying on your own. You guys get the benefit of me taking doctoral classes. So my summer doctoral class this year was on First and Second Timothy and Titus, oddly enough. <laughs> so um, it is fun to be able to share with you some of the things that I studied and learned over the summer. And these books are often kind of neglected. Uh, you'll, you might read them if you're being trained to be an elder or a deacon, but not many people read the rest of it. And so I thought it would be really interesting to dive into these books and see what God has to say for us. There's so many challenges that are relevant to what's going on in the world today, and we have a lot to learn from Paul's writing and from the Lord as he speaks to us through his word. So let's turn now. Uh, we'll start with a quote from Psalm 119. You remember Psalm 119 is is the longest chapter of the Bible. It's a it's an um, acrostic poem t talking about the glory of God's law and teaching and, and all that we can learn from that. So I won't read you the whole thing, I promise. <laughs> but this is Psalm 119, starting with verse 41. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation, according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love that I may meditate on your decrees. And turning now over to First uh, Timothy, and then we'll look at Second Timothy. This is First Timothy chapter one, verses three to seven. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. 
And turning to 2 Timothy, this is verse, chapter 3, 13 to 17. Evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and been convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All, skip, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the th servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How do you feel about someone giving you advice? Sometimes it's, it's a really good thing. Sometimes it's really helpful. Other times it's just downright annoying. <laughs> Especially when you didn't ask for advice, you just wanted to complain a little bit. I never do that, ever. <laughs> but my family, we love to quote really weird movies. And so I'm sure you have noticed that I quote strange movies from time to time in my sermon. As I was working on this sermon, the sermon, the advice that came to my mind was from a John Cusack movie from the 80s. And trust me, it's a stupid movie. But this quote's funny. It's the worst skiing advice ever. The guy looks at the, this other guy who he doesn't know how to ski very well. And he goes, okay, go that way really fast. And if something gets in your way, turn. <laughs> Thanks. I didn't know that. <laughs> When you, when you want to learn how to ski, you don't need somebody to just say, go that way really fast and then turn. You need somebody who knows the mountain. You, know, you need somebody who knows not only the technical side of skiing, but also knows how to face the fear of looking straight down a very steep hill. You need someone who knows how to, how, how to explore, who knows all the mountain's twists and turns. You know somebody, need somebody who knows how to go that way really fast and where exactly to turn. Paul is one of those that knows the mountain. Paul has been through all kinds of, of journeys and triumphs and, and hardships and shipwrecks and beatings and jail and all of these things. And now as he's sending out Timothy and Titus, he wants to give them advice because he knows the mountain. He knows the hard places. He knows the fear. He knows the struggle. And he knows the joy and the hope of the gospel. He wants to, to send these men out. He wants to give them um, opportunity and, and, and a chance to, to bless the kingdom of God by taking on two difficult churches. And he wants to see them succeed. But he's got a lot of advice to give because he's been there. He knows the mountain. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at these books to Timothy and to Titus and to see all that Paul has to teach us as well. As, as, as Timothy and Titus seek to build up these, these ministries in their, in their care, Paul talks about, we're going to highlight five different themes that cross all three of these books. Uh, I, I would love to someday go you know, verse by verse, but right now I want to focus on the themes here. So there's, this week we're going to talk about why truth matters. Next week, why character matters, then grace matters, and mission matters, and finally on, on In Gathering Sunday, we'll talk about money matters. All of this matters. The weighty things of the Lord are, are, have power to them, and they have great richness of advice and help us to think about what matters in our, in our world today. So today we're d digging into truth matters because Paul wants to give Timothy and Titus advice about how to stand up to false teachers. 
These false teachers are making a mess of the church. And when you think about false teachers, you also think about today and how, how messed up, how, who knows what truth is, who knows what, what news is fact and what news is opinion. If social media is full of controversial speculation that Paul speaks against. And all of this doesn't advance God's work, it causes division instead. And God wants us to hold on to his truth. So how do we live as people of the truth being able to discern what is right and what is wrong, what, what good is, what good living is and good belief is from what is, what is the wrong way to do things. We do this by holding on to the word of God. Paul writes, hold tight to the teachings that I have given you. Hold tight to the word and by not only indwelling with the word, meditating on it, also we share it and we don't share it with anger or hatred or judgment. We share it with love and gentleness and patience so that, so that as God has loved us and given us his truth, we too can love others and share God's truth with them. So let's dig into these sometimes neglected books. As Paul is writing to these guys, um, he's, he, Paul has sent people around the world. He himself has, has planted churches all over the Mediterranean. And he wants to make sure these churches are thriving. And two of these places are Ephesus and Crete. So Paul is writing to, to Timothy in Ephesus. He's writing to, to Titus in, in Crete. First Timothy and Titus are kind of linked together. And Second Timothy is a little bit different. First Timothy and Titus are, while Paul is still very active in ministry, Second Timothy is the last book that Paul wrote. It's kind of his last will and testament. And he's wanting to give his final instructions to, to his closest friend and, and disciple. So Paul is, with Timothy, Timothy has been alongside Paul for a very long time. We first hear about Timothy in Acts 16 as, he, as Paul is just about to start on his second missionary journey. And he finds this young man who has been raised by his mother and, and grandmother who are Christians, Jewish Christians. His father is a Gentile, but he has been raised in the faith and has heard about scripture for all of his life. And then Paul takes him along. And we see Timothy's name come up throughout the, the, the New Testament. We even see him as a co-author on books like Philippians and Colossians and 1 Thessalonians. So he's absolutely a vital person in Paul's ministry. Titus is a little bit lesser known than Timothy, but he's still very important. We hear of him first in Galatians where Paul is talking about going up to meet with the apostles in Jerusalem to talk about his ministry to the Gentiles. And he takes Titus, who is a Gentile, to meet with the apostles and to be a witness to what Paul's doing around the Mediterranean. We also see that Titus was a very trusted person. Um, so Paul talks about him in 2 Corinthians, saying that he's the one that will gather uh, the, the offering to distribute to the to the believers in Jerusalem during the famine. So, so he's not just trusted with the word, he's also trusted with money. So we see that that's a really important thing. So even though these guys have been working alongside Paul for a long time, they get to these churches in Ephesus and Crete and they start to hit difficult situations. If Ephesus, you may remember, was the, the center of the cult of, of Artemis. There's a scene in Acts 19 where um, the, the silversmiths cause a riot. Why is that? Because so many people have become Christians 
that the Christians stopped buying the silver idols of Artemis. And so the silversmiths were, were rioting because they were losing money. This crazy cult of Christians was destroying their economy. I mean, what a cool testament that so many people were becoming Christians. It was changing the culture. But, but this place had always had this tension between Christianity and these pagan religions and the Roman oppression and, and everything else that was going on around them. And then in the middle of this come the false teachers to, to create even more division. You've got outside pressures and inside pressures. And Paul wants his wisest disciple, Timothy, to come in and to work on that. On Crete, the local god wasn't Artemis. The local god was Zeus himself. The, the Cretans said that Zeus was born on Crete, and they loved the guy. It didn't matter that he was known for his seduction and his lies. You can imagine, you, you know that even now, the, the, the title Cretans is, is somebody who is, you know, is a mess, is a barbarian. It's, a, it's an insult. And that comes from this era when Cretans were not trusted. So if Ephesus was this thriving city like New York City, Crete was like Las Vegas. <laughs> like it didn't matter what happened in Vegas. It didn't even stay in Vegas. It was, it was a crazy place and no one could be trusted. So Titus had a big challenge on his hand as he's facing the same false teachers that, that Timothy was facing, yet his were, were thrown in with, with lies and deceit. And that was actually celebrated by the culture. How do you find leaders in a church where everybody in the culture is celebrated for, for their de deception and, and untrustworthiness? So... These outside problems were happening, but there were also these inside problems. I'm talking about false teachers. If you look through all three of these books, you see the thread of false teachers coming up over and over again. Paul was frustrated with these guys. They, they, were, they were messing up everything. They were, they were deceiving people. Paul doesn't list all the heresies that they had. It would be very hard to list all the conspiracy theories that are out there right now. Paul isn't focused on all the heresies. He's focused on their impact. He mentions what is going on when it's relevant to what he's trying to teach Timothy and Titus. But, but the actual details of, of how crazy their, their theories were wasn't the most important thing. But we do know a few things about them. First, uh, they were not part of the official leadership of the church. They were people, it was common to have traveling philosophers, traveling tutors. People with money would hire someone to come and, and just teach their household. Um, they, would, they could be hired for private lectures, that kind of thing. So these guys were outside the authority structure of the church. They were taking things on their own. They were, they were creating their own authority. And second, they were creating their own authority for, for division and profit. So they were, the more controversy they stirred up, the more profit they got. And doesn't that sound like the media these days? <laughs> the more they sell controversy, the, the more people want to watch and listen and be fed by that. This is what Paul writes about them. They are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of a corrupt mind who have been robbed by the truth and who think godliness is a means to financial gain. Their pursuit of godliness, he, later he talks about godliness, they have a form of godliness but denying its power. 
the power that they see is financial gain. The, the power they see is, is power over these people who are eating up their controversies. Paul is, is, wants to point out that their controversies are for money. They're not for a pursuit of the truth. And finally, that all these divisions that they're stirring up aren't just stopping in the, in the lecture hall. They're entering into families themselves. They must be silenced, Paul writes, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for sordid gain what is not right to teach. They're upsetting whole families. They're breaking up systems. They're breaking up marriages and children. And we'll talk more about that later. But, but they are making a mess of the church. Paul lays blame on both the false teachers and on the people that they're, who are following them. They are, these people are not satisfied with the truth of the gospel. They want something more engaging. They want something more exciting. In, in first Tim, Second Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They want to say what their itching ears want to hear. That happens all the time now with the algorithms of our social media accounts. Uh, they're, they're, they're programmed, literally programmed, to let us hear in an echo chamber what our itching ears want to hear. Are we listening to that? Or are we listening to what God wants to say? If we're not careful, our world can become just like the, the world of Crete and Ephesus and become that echo chamber. The false teachers were not just making false truth claims. They were also uh, claiming how you could behave in ways that were not gospel-filled. We'll, we'll talk a lot more about this next week when we talk about character matters, how, how we're supposed to live according to the gospel and, and how we live is a, is a witness to what God is up to. But the, the false teachers, one thing you need to know is that false teachers were, there were multiple different kinds, there were multiple different heresies that they were teaching. One was hedonism. Uh, you can do anything you want to do. It doesn't matter. The rules don't matter. You can, you know, as long as your mind is in the right place, your body can do anything at once. The, on the opposite end of that is legalism and asceticism, like the Greek Stoics, uh, like deny yourself and that will give you more power and control. Paul stands up to that also. That's both of those are, it's like two ditches. You're going to fall into one or the other. Paul presents the, the middle way. He says, they forbid marriage and abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received for, with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. It's true that we can't do whatever we want to do, but at the same time, we shouldn't deny ourselves the good things God has given us. As long as we, we enjoy them with thanksgiving and with submission to the Lord and his instruction. So how did Paul want Timothy and Titus to stand up to these guys? How did he want to, to, to face all of these teachings? He says to Timothy, continue, as I just read, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those whom, from whom you learned it. And, and from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul reminds Timothy that he learned scripture from his mother and grandmother. He named, Paul names both of them, Lois and Eunice. And when women are named in the Bible, that's really significant. They, 
They, they are people of honor. So these two amazing women taught Timothy from infancy about scripture. That was in him from the beginning. How do you fight the false teachers? Paul's saying it's already in you. It's right there. You hold on to what you were taught from the beginning. That's the source of the truth that, that we, you need to draw from and learn from and call back into your mind. This reminds me of a story I heard. My theology professor in seminary was the student of someone who was a student of Karl Barth. And Karl Barth was, was famous for writing, I think it was like 600 works. He had a 13 volume uh, thing called Church Dogmatics. The man was an, an incredible genius. Some of his stuff is a little weird, some of it's amazing. Uh, but somebody one time asked him what, uh, if he could sum up his, all of his theology in one sentence, what would it be? I mean, this man, 600 works, 13-volume church dogmatics, sum it up in one sentence. And he said, it has to be what I learned at my mother's knee. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The core of what he believed came from that teaching that he got from infancy. It is scripture and it's Jesus. That is the core of what we need. It doesn't matter how many false teachings you're facing, how many controversies you're facing, how many conspiracies you're facing. The core of it is Jesus Christ and the Bible. Stay with those, even though it feels like that's, that. Some people might think, wow, that's childish. I learned that a long time ago. But it is true. It is so deeply true. We can ground ourselves in that. We can ground our, our feet in it, dig our toes in when it seems like the storms are raging. That's what we need to plant ourselves in. It is good and it is right and it is true. Timothy may have been overwhelmed by what he was facing and Titus as well, but, but Paul's saying what you need is already inside of you through Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to write one of the most beautiful descriptions of scripture. Uh, I read it earlier. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we talk about the Bible being inspired, this is where that verse, this is the verse that comes from. Inspired the Spiritus, the Holy Spirit blew into the writers uh, as they were putting scripture together so that, that, that God breathed all of scripture. We can trust it because it comes, not, it's not just what people think about God, but it actually comes from God. God breathed these words. So let's inhale them. Let's, let's inhale their truth. Oh, let's in, inhale them into our lungs and our hearts and our head. And then as we breathe back out, let's exhale the word as we teach and as we, as we lead, as we help correct, as we help equip, as God equips us for everything that we need to do. Breathe in the word. Breathe out the truth that comes from it. Paul writes the same message to Titus as well. He wants to remind him to hold tight to the trustworthy word of the teaching so that you may be able both to exhort with sound instruction and refute those who contradict it. To exhort with sound instruction and refute those who contradict it. The word is trustworthy, he wants Titus to remember, even in Crete where nobody is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. The word of God is trustworthy. And that's where everything needs to stem from. 
As we read through Paul's instructions, we realize this wasn't just about Titus and Timothy being right or wrong. So often we kind of get into this, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, I have to... I have to suppress your opinion so that I can win. Paul doesn't want them to do that. Paul emphasizes that this is about love, not winning. He says he wants them to to extend the grace and patience of Jesus Christ to, to everybody he teaches, gentleness and patience and love. Because this is the same grace and gentleness and patience and love that Paul himself received. Paul remembers when he himself was against the church, when he was one of the most violent people around. And and Paul wants them to remember that it's not about winning the argument. He says in 1 Timothy, the aim of such instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is only going to work. Teaching the truth is only going to work if you do it in love and through love and by love. In 2 Timothy, he says something similar. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with gentleness and patience. How often do you get frustrated with somebody who's going on the wrong path and you're like, would you just wake up? Paul's saying, God was gentle and patient with me. You need to be gentle and patient with everyone you encounter. You cannot use the word of God like a stick beating somebody over the head with it. You have to use it with love and grace. Paul was so strong about this, emphasized it so much, because he himself had been against the Word of God. He had been against the move of the Holy Spirit. He was trying to kill Christians. Jesus stopped him in his tracks as he was on the way to Damascus and said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God rescued him when he was at his worst. It wasn't when Paul cleaned himself up and got himself together. It was when he was at his worst, God showed him love. This is what Paul writes about this to Timothy. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I was shown mercy so that me, the worst of all sinners, that in me Christ may display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul wasn't taking any of this for granted. He humbled himself and and, and realizes that it's only through God's love and grace and patience. It wasn't that he, he won an argument. It's that he was shown incredible grace. Every one of you has offered the same grace, no matter how far away you've wandered from the truth, no matter how far your friends have wandered from the truth, no matter how deep into the entanglement of the dark side of the web they've gone, they are still created in the image of God and worth loving with gentleness and patience. We don't want to just, just eliminate the enemy. We want to share the love of God with them through the revealed word. In the last few years, we have seen that the Word of God has become weaponized. People have their favorite passages, and they fight against the other people that have their favorite passages. And, and we, it, these disputes have been dividing churches, and it is heartbreaking to see this happening. That is not what God wants. He wants us to share the Word of God. He wants us to share the truth of God, but He wants us to do it 
in love and gentleness and patience. Yes, we need to, to stand up, but we cannot stand on the truth with a heart that looks nothing like the heart of the Father. That is not truth. It may sound like truth on the surface, but underneath it is hollow and will fail. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Brothers and sisters, I want this church to be a church that is so grounded in the word. Not that we know all the facts, not that we can quote the whole thing, but that we understand the heart of the Father as he reveals himself in Scripture. Scripture is not a bunch of facts and bullet points. Scripture is a love letter to the world. Scripture is God saying, you are my people. Return to me and I will redeem you. It is, it is a love letter saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is the truth, but it is not the cold, hard truth. It is the warm, hard truth. It is a warm, solid truth that God loves every single person, even the ones who have gone way far over to the other side. Even they are created in the image of God and deserve love and gentleness and patience to let them see the love that God has for them as well and to begin to know the truth. As we, as we dwell in all of this, we realize that truth matters. Truth matters not because it's, 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 the, it's the, the right thing and everybody else is going to lose if they don't have this. Truth matters because it's the way of salvation. Truth matters because it, it brings people freedom from the trap that they've fallen into to all of these controversial speculations. What freedom God offers us through his word. God reveals to us the way that the father takes care of his own and calls us his dearly beloved children. It is the way that we realize that Jesus Christ gives us unfathomable grace that through his death on the cross, he loves you so much. He was willing to die for you. It is the way that we can take what is God-breathed, the life-breathing spirit of God that can fill us even now and fill us to love others in ways that we ourselves and our humanists cannot love. It can fill us and equip us on those days when we feel like we are completely dry and have nothing to offer. It's the, 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 the spirit of God that fills us and keeps us going. This morning I was reading 1 Thessalonians 5 and the verse that stood out was, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it through the power of the Father and the, the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the breath of the Holy Spirit that fills our lungs. That is how God will do it. He will equip us and he will send us out. Brothers and sisters, hold fast to the truth of the word of God and the truth that it tells us that God loves us more than we can ask or imagine. And the truth that you are called, every one of you are called. And every one of you who are called are equipped to share the word of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the power of God to all you come in contact with. Let us worship God together. Amen. Holy God, we do thank you and we praise you that you are our rock and our redeemer. You are the truth that we can build our lives on. You are the solid rock. 
that even when we see storms all around us, when we put our, our foundations into the rock, the storms may blow, but our house will never fall because it is built on you. Lord, forgive us for all the ways that we chase what our itching ears want to hear. As Melanie was saying earlier, it is how, what do we turn to when we need help or encouragement or, or hope? So often we turn to everything else but you, Lord. We ask you to forgive us of that. Lord, your truth is what gives us hope and life and promise and love that is so beyond anything our human heart can muster. But your love, your agape love, your unconditional love is absolutely infinite. Lord, forgive us for hate, forgive us for condemnation and judgment, for, for looking at other people and not even wanting them to exist. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to see even our enemies as created in the image of God and worth loving. Lord, help us to love even as you loved. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lord, we lift up to you the, the brokenness of our world the horrible situation with Israel and Palestine. And we, Lord, we pray. You, we know that you are the Prince of Peace. You are the only one who can bring peace into that situation. And eye for an eye will destroy both peoples. But Lord, you are the one, of the God of justice and the God of peace. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we pray for people to, to, to seek peace instead of power to seek love instead of destruction. Oh Lord, move with power. Show Jesus Christ to the people who are so broken there. Lord, we pay, pray for those who are in broken places around the world, whether they are, are in a drought situation or, or, or just hopeless in a, in a hard economic situation. We pray for those in our own community who are struggling with inflation and job loss and all of those other issues. We pray for those who have, have medical issues, who've been in the hospital, who've been struggling. We pray for the, our church member who has, a, has, has had a brain clot and is praying for that to be destroyed. We pray for those who have recent cancer diagnoses and are not sure what to think. We pray for those who are wondering if the cancer is gone or if it's coming back. Lord, we just pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on each of these broken people, each of the broken families around us. Lord, we pray that you would breathe your life and your hope and your redemption, your restoration into their lives. Lord God, we thank you that you do call us by, your, by our name. You, you say you are mine. We may feel lost and alone and rejected, but you say you are mine. We are yours, Lord, and we give ourselves to you, body, mind, soul, and spirit, as your dearly beloved children. And we are bold to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please rise as we affirm our faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.